This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Pre-recorded from Joe's mom's basement, it's a rewind episode of the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Griffin the Intern, or as my ultimate Frisbee team calls me, the Fintern. Joe and OG headed to the store to find fruitcake recipes. Someone recently called them a couple of fruitcakes, which got them wondering if fruitcakes actually tasted good. And believe me, if you're new to the show, that's the best idea these two have had lately. But before they left, Joe handed me a cassette tape with episode 236 on it, the top five worst rules of thumb. The guys used to do lots of top five episodes, so I thought it'd be fun to bring one back from a couple years ago. Remember, Disregard any investment info or giveaway mentions because this episode was from early August 2015, just before the show changed up its format. Enjoy! And now we're pleased to bring you our feature presentation. Just when you thought Wednesday couldn't get any better, live from my parents' basement in Texarkana, Texas, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey, everybody, I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Show Money on Twitter, and on today's podcast, Rules of Thumb. You know how we feel about Rules of Thumb? You probably shouldn't follow them. What are the five dumbest Rules of Thumb? What are the five you should ignore? Our biggest and best top five ever on today's podcast. Here he is, the guy who's a top five all rolled into one. He's the top one, the one and only OG. What's up? Man, so uh, it is Wednesday, hump day, hump day. Already Wednesday. It is already. Man, do we have an action-packed show today. How long has it been since we've done one of these top fives? It's been ages. It does seem like a long, long time ago. Yeah, and actually, I have to thank our listener, Timothy. Timothy was actually 
on our roundtable once too. Timothy wrote in and said, you know what? When Tucker was here doing the Rewind episodes, we had a top five on one of those. And he said, I realized how much I missed it. And he gave me some ideas. He gave me like 10 ideas for top five. So this comes from Timothy's idea. So thanks a lot, Timothy, because I thought, man, you're right. It is time for a top five. Dog days the summer, bring on the top five. And you know what else you should bring on? Bring on stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Because when it comes to places to look for better products to make your money management easier, that's where we're looking. Nick wrote me a note recently talking about savings accounts. And he says the war for deposits continues. But here's the key, OG. This is interesting. He says it's only being fought online. If your money's at a brick and mortar bank, you're probably missing out. The average rate at a traditional bank 0.01%. That's not 1%. That's 0.01%. The average rate online is 1%. So you can see the best deposit rates at Magnify Money and it's easy to move. Everybody needs an emergency fund, but there's no reason, Nick says, to earn 0% on your emergency fund. You can see the rates here, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. And they have a place to compare your savings accounts. You just go to the Magnify Money page and It's very easy to toggle to find out which one's best for you. Also, after you do that, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi because they are the number one marketplace lender when it comes to refinancing your student loans and picking up a new mortgage or a personal loan. Some of the best rates in the business, you have to have a high credit score, which is how they get the rates so low. You're not going to find better rates and you've got supreme flexibility What I was looked for when I was a financial advisor was how can I bend a loan to suit my client's interest the most? Well, SoFi, S-O-F-I, gives you tons of different ways that you can pay back your loan, which means that you're in the driver's seat. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi and get your debt managed. Don't go to SoFi to take on new debt. Don't go to Magnify Money to take on new debt. Go there to get rid of debt, right, OG? Unless there's something you really, really, really want to buy. <laughs> and then go for it. And then who cares about the, the American day? dream? All right. We've got your top five coming up. But before that, we've got some headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. This comes from Financial Planning Magazine. Robos could see a new player. Another one getting in. OG Wells Fargo says following strong second quarter earnings for its wealth management unit, Wells Fargo executive said the firm was considering developing robo-advisor technology. Chief Financial Officer John Shrewsbury said during a call with analysts, the firm had undertaken a variety of initiatives in wealth management to, quote, modernize and create service compatibility to attract new investors and to better serve the investors that we have. Here's what you've got. you got advisors who are consistently having to move upstream because of fee shrinkage, right? Huge problem, shrinkage. For you. But fees are getting smaller, which means that they have to look for people with bigger and bigger amounts of money. And on the other side, you've got this underserved market of people with ten dollars to $20,000 to invest. It's an unfortunate trend in the industry for sure. But I think it can be handled by advisors a little bit differently than just offloading all of their clients that are under a certain threshold. There's a huge gap of space between the average advisor who is now over the age of 50 and new advisors. There's not as many new advisors. So part of the reason for that is that they don't have that sales mentality like you did and I did when coming into the business. I think that they see financial planning more as a profession 
like a lawyer or an accountant. Whereas I think you and I probably knew right out the gate that it was more of a sales job. A sales job uh, that turned into... Turns into a profession. Yes. Certainly. Yep. So there's a great opportunity for established firms to bring on younger advisors and help transition those clients. Because the problem with just saying, I don't take any client that has under X dollars, right? Is where's the growth of the business going to come from? You know, because I've got plenty of clients, you did too, who started with you with a $20,000 IRA rollover, who now have $400,000, $500,000, a million dollars, because they just did what they were supposed to do. They saved and they listened to the advice of a good financial planner. So I think just outsourcing all of this to the internet, basically, and we've talked about this before, I think. Well, and all robos are really replacing is an asset gatherer, right? I mean, the robo is not looking at your tech strategy, although some of them try to be tax efficient. I know that's the thing that Schwab is constantly selling is tax efficiency. Betterman's selling tax efficiency. I'm sure the others are too. The frustrating thing though, is when it comes to like, how do you squeeze more money out of your budget? How do you save the right amount of money? How are you on track for your goals? All that stuff is just gone. And part of that, I think the problem is the same problem we have a lot of people that write us letters have which is they're like, hey, I have this advisor and he's trying to sell me this investment. And people compare financial advisors to just investment jockeys, which is, I think there's a perception issue. I think there's that. I think that the other problem is when the next calamity happens, the robo-advisors are not going to be able to sit down arm in arm with their client and say, I got this. It'll be okay. There's not going to be that counseling thing that financial advisors good ones do, which is the behavior modification or the behavior counseling, because there is nobody, I don't care who you are. I was scared out of my mind in 2008. Weren't you? I mean, for a while you're like, maybe this is the end. Maybe this is what it looks like when everything comes crumbling down. I didn't have a hard, I didn't have a huge practice, but I was managing $60 million, which also isn't a tiny practice. I mean, it was a medium sized practice and man, it hit the scary. I remember when Chuck Tholey was on the show, he's a big financial advisor in Dallas. And Chuck said, I mean, Chuck is managing hundreds of millions of dollars. And I said, well, was it hard keeping people calm? He said, you know what the hardest part was? Me staying calm. He said, yeah. because I didn't know what was going on. I'm trying to tell my clients to hang on. He right. said, yet I'm in the spot that I've never been there. Nobody's ever been there before. So yeah. he said, you really have to have a strong or, and Chuck's one of those guys that has a strong belief that, the way the system's worked every time, even though this is different, it's still the same. Yeah. So what's going to happen when that happens again? And there's no person to hold your hand. There's no person to gather around the campfire and say, yeah, we're all going through this together. Let's go to dinner and we can talk about it. You know, But you can see the allure. You can see why Wells Fargo is looking to get in. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, Absolutely. see. And I think every firm before this is I over, would love to do it. Are you kidding me? You know, I would love to figure out a way to have clients that have $3,000. And don't you think there's going to be a meld happening where you're going to have financial advisors that work with robos? Like you're going to have somebody more like a personal capital model. You're the advisor, but then you offload the investment management to a robo firm. Well, that kind of already happens, right? And a lot of companies have their managed platforms and that sort of stuff. So they're just eliminating the financial advisor part of it right now, right. which I think will become a big mistake. But again, part of that problem is that advisors have sold themselves as asset managers yep. and not financial counselors, not financial planners, and they don't bill or charge appropriately for that anyway. So if you look at an advisor and you say, you know, what is it that you do? And he says, well, he or she says, we charge 1% of the assets that we manage. 
why would I pay you 1% when I can go down the street and pay 0.8 or 0.6 or yep. 0.2? So I think the big lesson here for people is, is that d- there's a big difference between, they call them a robo-advisor, big difference between a robo-advisor and really an advisor. It's really a robo-money diversifier. Wouldn't you say that's, that's probably more correct? Absolutely. And welcome to our top five dumbest rules of thumb. These are some just very clever rules of thumb that somebody thought of as at one point. And just generally speaking, I don't know about you. When I started in the financial services industry, I thought rules of thumb were great. And over uh, how many years has it been now? Oh, geez, like 22 years. Rules of thumb stink. Well, rules of thumb are meant to provide a baseline of contextual information, right? I mean, where you can just kind of say, if I never talk to another soul for as long as I live, I'll get the ball halfway down the field if I just do this stuff. Right. Yeah. I can actually see all the five on my list. I can see why they were created, but I really don't get them. All right. You ready to do this thing? Let's do it. Here we go. Number five. Well, who's going to go first? I'll go first. All right. Uh, My number five is that you should save 10% of your income. Yes. Just arbitrarily 10%. It's a nice round number. I think this guy certainly don't know why it was started, but it's an easy thing to remember. You're supposed to save 10% of your income. It's not 10. It's probably way more than that, frankly, but it should be based on what your goals are, right? Shouldn't you just work backward and say, here's what I want. Here's what I have. Here's how much I need to put in divided by how many months or years I've got to do it. And that just, boom, here's the number that equals 12.6%. Why would you save 10 if you needed 12? That's dumb. I've given tons of speeches at tons of companies and groups and talk about that every time. And the aha look that I see on people's face when I recommend that, I'm like, why wouldn't we have this easy equation, right? You're getting the goal is rate of return times the amount of money that you want equals the goal. So start with the goal and work backwards. How much money do I need to save and what rate of return? Yeah, sounds great. This one's interesting. I found this one on a website and I'd heard it before, but I want to include the blogger's language. The blogger says, quote, I found this on the internet and thought it was as useful as it was clever. If you find it on the internet and you think it's clever, maybe, but probably not. In this case, here it is, OG. My number five, your emergency fund should cover X months of expenses where X is the current unemployment rate. So if there's a very high unemployment rate, you should have a higher cash reserve. That would be great if you could just snap your fingers and poof, you know, and unemployment is 10%. Poof, I've got 10 months of. But once again, why is that your goal? Because it should be more industry specific. Like I know in great economies, the economy was thriving from in the early 2000s. The economy was doing pretty well. And yet I lived in Detroit and there were a lot of people in Detroit still losing their job. So while the unemployment rate was supposedly really low in Detroit, it was fairly high. So I think you got to look more at your industry. The other thing is, and this is a big one that Jim Rogers, the fantastic, huge investor talks about, beware government statistics, because the number the government gives you for the unemployment rate isn't the real employment rate. And by the way, this has nothing to do with the United States. Country upon country creates these unemployment rates that are not true. There are people that they say after a number of years, they've stopped looking for a job, right? OG doesn't have a job, doesn't have a job for a set amount of time. And then they take him off the rolls. He's no longer employed. He's not looking anymore. So why you would use the unemployment rate for anything is beyond me. That's my number five. Number four. 
number four, number four, number four, that the market returns 10% a year. Oh, that's a good rule of thumb. The market, please define, please elaborate, do tell. Let's assume for a second that the market, whatever that may be, actually does return 10% a year, which it doesn't, but let's say that it does. What the heck does that have to do with anything? <laughs> if you're basing your assumptions on what the market does, I must inform you, you will be woefully off on your projections because it's not about what the market does. It's about what your investments do and more specifically, even what you do with your investments. We talk a lot about behavioral advice and how people react when things aren't going so well. There's a company called Dalbar. It's D-A-L-B-A-R, Dalbar. And every year they run a study. It's called the Quantitative Analysis of Investor Behavior. And without going too much into the details, they look at over the last 20 years what the average investor has returned. And they do it based on tracking inflows and outflows of investments. Guess what the average investor has returned over the last 20 years? I'm going to say closer to three. Closer to five. Okay. About 5%. Well, if the Dow Jones or large cap stocks, let's say the S&P averages nine and the average investor gets five, how is that possible? Well, it's only happening because of behavior. So I would say that if you're using return projections that are based on the market, you should look at your personal history of investment returns and see what really has happened over the last 10 years. 20 years if you've got it in investing history. And I'm going to take this on a little bit of a tangent, OG, which is, I love what you're saying about behavior because I've never, and I don't want people to take this the right way, but you didn't say people didn't get there because of fees. People didn't get there because of behavior. I haven't seen, even though, and I'll just say this because people will think that I'm going to discount fees and how important it is to keep track of your fees. You should keep track of your fees. If two investments are the same, look for a lower cost option if possible. But still, people don't not reach their goals because of fees. That was a double negative. Yeah. As a matter of fact, there's a study and I'll find it and I'll see if I can't get it to you over the next couple of weeks. There's a study, I think it's by Vanguard, value of an advisor. So even an advisor who is charging a fee for asset management, for financial planning, provides 1.87% a year return above what a individual would do on their own. I'd love to see that. And guess what? It is produced by Vanguard. Yeah, right. Right. Who is so um so you're gonna yeah, have to give me that isn't... you're gonna have to give me that link because I know a lot of times we talk about, about links. Four hundred people just are headed to the website your, right now. Your uh, Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> of course that's what OG says because that's what business he's in. <laughs> um, give me that link. Yeah. Get it to you right now. But anyway, no, the difference is behavior. It's pulling the trigger at the wrong time. There's no doubt about it. My whole time as a financial advisor, and I'm no longer a financial advisor. I have no skin in the game anymore, yet I never saw fees kill people. I saw behavior kill people all the time. And yet we have article after article about focusing on lower fees. Remember we talked to Magnus Agenfeld about the top investors in the world? None of them talked about fees as being better investors. Well, except for Jack Bogle, who, by the way, was only in the list because Magnus put him on the list because of all the work that he's done, not that he was actually rated in the top list. I think fees are a big thing and you should know what you pay. And a lot of people overpay for nothing, right? And it's easy for people to hide fees and companies to hide fees. But we talked about that a couple of weeks ago with these equity indexed annuities, you know, easy to hide fees, but still behavior plays a bigger part. My number four the typical worker, you've heard this, should save about three years worth their salary at 45. Have you heard this one? Should save about three years worth of their salary at 45, five times at age 55 and eight times by retirement at age 
67, eight times your salary by the time you're 67. Based on what? Some people have different streams of income than other people. So if I'm somebody with a pension and I'm somebody without a pension, I'm using the same eight times. You know, this is very close to what you were talking about with saving 10% of your salary. I don't get where these numbers are. I think they're a good place to start. Like you said earlier, it's a nice place to start, but look at what your goal is and how much money you should have saved by a certain date. Certainly somebody who has come out of a, let's say they took the extra time to maybe go through residency or a PhD program. They're going to get a later start. So they may have less than three years worth of salary at age 45, but the game is, is that they'll catch up quickly because they're getting more of an income later in life because of that degree prowess, which is why you should always make sure that your degree is going to pay when you look for a student loan. Number three. All right. Number three, number three, number three, which one should I do here? Um, your house should only be two and a half times your income, the value of your house, your purchase price. Do you have any commentary on that or should I just keep on expanding? I thought you were going to go a different way with that about the house should only be a certain percentage of your income. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I say? You said that it should be two and a half times your income. But I was talking about like your house payment should only be, you know, 20 to 30% of your take-home pay. Well, I think from a payment standpoint, I can't argue too much with that. Well, you can. You can if you've got somebody who has an exorbitant income. You know, if they've got plenty of money to live the lifestyle they want, they could be 50% if they're bringing in a couple million dollars a year. Let's I don't say. know. That still seems like a pretty healthy paycheck. I like that. I do like that rule of thumb. Yeah. You know, I like that banks say 40, 43% and Dave Ramsey says 25%. Which... I like the fact that Dave Ramsey's lower than the bank. We'll agree on that. Yes. I'll tell you, I would never buy a house that was 25% unless I was making a gajillion dollars. Yeah. You know, some of it housing market related, I suspect. But again, the two and a half times your annual income, like for what? What does that have to do with anything? If I make $100,000, I should only buy a house worth two fifty. dollars What if I'm putting down $150,000 of down payment money? To your point, for my mortgage on $100,000, it's only going to be six bucks. You know, if I'm making $100,000 a year, my payment then is less than 10% of my income. By the same token, should I juice that up and say, okay, I can get up to $2,500 a month of payments. I can get up to $3,000 a month of payments, almost $4,000 payments against $100,000 income. Whew, I don't know about that, but... I don't think that having a rule of thumb of just, you know, we can only shop in the 250000 range, yeah, sweetheart, because we make 100000 that's, that's a bizarre rule of thumb. I'm not excited about that one. As am I not excited about my number three. You've heard this one, OG. You ready for this one? You'll probably have this one later. Invest your age in bonds or put a different way, 120%, start off with 120% equities minus your age. And then that amounts equities. And then you go to bonds. Two ways of saying very similar things. Why? At age 65, should you have 65% of your portfolio in bonds? Or if you do it the other way, if you're going to go 120% your age 60, why would you have 40% of your portfolio in bonds? Just because, why? Because it has nothing to do with your goal. Don't get it. Don't understand that one at all. Are you going to comment on these? Not on that one because I might bring that one up in a little bit. <laughs> all right. Number two. My number two is having X times your income in life insurance. Oh, that your number two also? Oh, no. No, that's not my number two. <laughs> I was trying to decide if that was going to be my number one. <laughs> but I was gambling that maybe you had that one. That's all right. Hit it and then I'll hit next, it again. Next times of income. Again, based on what? You know, I make hundred grand a year. I should have 500000 of insurance. Folks, $500,000 of insurance is at best going to pay out 
$25,000 a year of income if I want to last a long time, if I'm a young kid and I got a family, how about this? How about you sit down with your spouse and say, or significant other and say, what should we plan on if one of us gets, you know, mowed down by the UPS driver or something, you know, no offense to UPS drivers. Do we want to send the kids to college? Should we put a fund together for that? Do we want to pay off the debt? Do we want to pay off my student loans? Do we want to pay off the house? Are you going to work on Monday morning? You know, if it happens on Saturday, are you going to work on Monday or are you going to take some time off? What do we tell the kids? And you sit down and you figure it out and put pencil to paper and don't be surprised if the number comes in at two or three million. That's the math. You know, you can't argue with the mathematics. You can just say, I don't want that. But you can't say, well, that's stupid. Right. Because we've talked about this. You and I both have handed out insurance checks before. Not a single person has said, oh my gosh, that is way too much money. No, 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 no. Take half of that and just give it to charity because I don't need it. Yeah, start off with the income stream you need and work backwards, right? And add on all the one-time expenses. Which is also on the other side, if you are single in 25 and somebody's trying to talk you into a big fat insurance policy. You're like, how did you come up with it? Yeah, exactly. Just ask them the question. Show me the math worksheet that you use to come up with. Exactly. uh, How I came up with, you say I need 1.5 million alive insurance. Show me how you came up with it. I think it's zero. I don't have any dependents. I don't have any (laughs) family, kids. I don't have any debt. Right. You know, I'm not trying to look for the boogeyman around the corner here in case my parents decide that I'm worth more dead than alive. So, yeah, but my number two is back toward your safe 10% of your salary. And it's a rule of thumb that people think is government sponsored because on a plan document now for auto enrollment, if you're going to get auto enrolled, if a company signs up for auto enrollment, the minimum is 3%. And I've read several places people that think that 3% of your salary for retirement is the number because that's the minimum that they put on the plan document. And a lot of plans just use the default. So saving 3% for your retirement, you said, OG, that 10% won't get you there. 3% isn't going to come anywhere close to getting you there. That's why it's my number two dumbest rule of thumb. Number one. Here it is. The big bad wolf, the number one dumbest, dumbest rule of thumb that you have. Well, why don't we do mine first since we already know what it is. My number one is X times your salary and insurance. Heard that before. Yeah, there's an echo in here. But I've seen company documents that say this. Here's a good rule of thumb. Think about your pay and if you're X amount of years old, do six times your salary and insurance. I've seen big gurus on television and on the radio who talk about percentage of your salary. Go to, what's that website you like? Because I like that website, lifehappens. Lifehappens.org. Yeah, because all that'll do is walk you through. It isn't hard. Is it hard? It's not hard. It's not difficult to get around this rule of thumb. It's very easy. So that's my number one. And your number one dumbest rule of thumb of all time. Your age should be how much money you have in bonds. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't giving it away. I knew that you had it in there. (laughs) This is by far the stupidest thing that you can do with your money. And it's so idiotic. You can't even begin to put some rationalization on this. Again, if you ever hear this from anybody who claims some quasi expertise in the financial industry, you should laugh, throw your coffee in their face, only if it's cool, and run away. Because this is so flippin' stupid. It will kill your retirement. It will kill your retirement. 50% of your assets and fixed income when you're 50. My God, statistically, you're going to live to be 97. If you're in like decent health, I don't get it. You have more years on the back end than you've actually started investing. If you're 60, you have more years 
then you've worked. Why would you want your portfolio to crawl into retirement at these fantastic, fantastic interest rates of one and 2%? Oh, I got an idea. I'll just buy a 30-year bond. That way I can get 5% on my fixed income. Yay! Until the bond market goes up a percent and I just lose a third of my portfolio because that's the ratio. That's how it works. It's duration times the interest rate change, right? So that's how much the price is going to lose. And guess what? If you have a high interest rate, if you're longing for the days of high interest, oh gosh, I remember the 80s when we could get 12% our CDs. 84. Guess what comes with interest rates? I already gave it away. Inflation. So you'll never outpace inflation with fixed income. Never. It does not work that way. The only way you can even have a remote chance of making it is if you have equities in your retirement portfolio. And I'm not saying you don't have any fixed income. You know, okay, fine. You really want to have a Ginny Mae in there go to town. But my God, a 60-year-old having 60% of your money in fixed income? Heartburn. Gives me heartburn. It's horrible. It doesn't give me heartburn. I feel bad for him. It's like, what was that movie, The Long Green Mile or something, where uh, Tom Hanks is... uh, It's just the green mile. It was a long mile. I know that. The dude was walking to his death, man. That is a... a Actually, it's probably a really short mile. (laughs) Yeah. It's not long (laughs) enough. It's probably... They'd be happier for it. You know, 100 miles. They'd be happier for that to be longer. I don't have any idea what that movie's about other than Tom Hanks is in it and like Ving Rames or something, I think. But nevertheless... You didn't see uh, it? I probably did, but it's, you know, I don't have a trapdoor memory like you. I just delete things. I need space for new ideas. Um, <laughs> I don't believe in that whole like creating new synapses stuff. I just use the synapses I already have. Yeah. Way more efficient. Right. Nevertheless, I feel sorry when I see people that are like that because they're so entrenched in their brain that this is how it's got to be that I already know what's going to happen. Is there a movie where they like can hold onto their hand and they see the future or something? Because I can do that. I can hold onto somebody's hand and I see the future and it's them eating cat food. <laughs> Tuna fish. Yum. Tuna fish flavored cat food. I love that. You know, I'm on a rant now because this is what I love talking about is retirement income planning. And people say, nobody figures it out. Nobody sits down and figures it out and figures out what sort of year return they need and all that sort of stuff. And it's not hard. No, it is hard, but I've never talked to a retiree or somebody who plans on retirement. They go, you know, what's going to be great in retirement doing nothing. I can't wait to like cancel the cable because I don't have enough money. And I can't wait to like have to value shop to buy cans of tuna fish and clip coupons and never send, send my grandkids like $5 bills because I don't have any money. Everybody has like this vision of retirement. Like, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to sail the Mediterranean. We're going to take the kids on a safari for 10 weeks and really connect with nature. We're going to, you know... Folks, that costs money and it costs market return. <laughs> you have to invest your money to get that unless you're independently wealthy. And even then, what kind of idiot has $10 million and puts it all in bonds? You know, you should be so lucky. Look at all the goodwill you could do for the next 10 generations if you invested that properly. Do not put your money in bonds because of your age. Oh, I'm 37. I should have 37% in bonds. Stupid. And whoever said it is stupid. How do you feel? Better, but still angry. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just had a huge revelation. How cool would it be if someone sold ice cream that had both, wait for it, chocolate and vanilla? I bet that'd go over. I'm going to go work on that. I'm going to go do my due diligence, as the Mark Cubans of the world call it. But for now, I'll leave you with this trivia question. In 2015, the most expensive auction for a painting occurred. The name of the painting? 
Les Femmes d'Alger. Les Femmes d'Alger. Yeah, that's it. It was painted in 1955 and it sold for $179.4 million. So what's my question? Who painted it? I'll be back with the answer and I'm sure more details about my ice cream empire shortly. I'm so excited to have two sponsors that we really love that are super helpful to so many people. Our first is Magnify Money. Check them out at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And if you're somebody like a lot of us that didn't get an education about money in school, well, guess what? Magnify Money will not only help you compare your checking, your savings and your credit cards. They also have a graduate guide. What's a graduate guide? Well, Nick Clements, CEO of Magnify Money, told us what it's all about. Right. Well, we went out and we pulled recent college graduates who are about five years out and said, what are your biggest regrets? And some of their biggest regrets were not handling their student loans right away when they got out of school, organizing them and finding out the, the best way to pay and manage that going forward. And another was just not learning enough about about their personal finances. And so what we've done is based upon the regrets of people who graduated five years ago, we put together a checklist so that as long as you follow that list, you at least will not have the regrets uh, the same regrets that these people have. There it is. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for you or the graduate in your life to get an education about getting their financial house in order. And if you've listened to the show before, you know I'm also excited about our second sponsor, SoFi. That's S-O-F-I. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi to check them out. And I've said in the past that you're not going to beat the interest rate on a student loan or on personal loans or mortgages outside of SoFi. However, I've also said you need a high credit score. What What is a high credit score and how does SoFi look at your credit? We asked Dan Macklin over at SoFi how it works. So there's no absolute minimum uh, that we have, but generally if you're in the 700s and above, then then you have a great chance of being approved. But credit is uh, credit score is not the only thing we're looking for. There's a variety of measures, but it's one of them. So even though it's not the only thing they look at, it's an important qualifier. So clean up your credit and then head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi when you're ready to get your mortgage, refinance your debt through a personal loan, or look at those student loans to get the interest rate down to something more manageable. Hey there, trivia fans. Who knew? Apparently, they've been doing vanilla and chocolate for ages. Some naming savant even came up with a name for it called Swirl. Man, it's hard keeping up with times these days. That's what I get for sticking with Orange Sherbert all these years. Well, I'll figure out a better way to make money later, but for now, let's tackle your thrilling trivia answer. And the question? In May 2015, the most expensive painting ever sold at auction happened. The painting was called Les Femmes d'Alger and was painted in 1955. It sold for $179.4 million. Who painted it? Pablo Picasso. Imagine how many swirl ice cream cones you could buy for that kind of dough. We get letters 
we have taken up a lot of time in this episode. So we've got time for one letter. This one comes from Todd. Compound interest savings accounts. He says he continually hears about how great and powerful compound interest is, but where are the best places to find it? Highest rates he's found at a bank are at 1%. And we talked about that today with Magnify Money is that 1% is about where online rates are averaging. I think about going with an advisor, but get warned about the fee structures and I'm afraid to have half my investments be taken when it's time to retire. What do we do? What do we do to get higher interest rates in the bank, OG? Well, I got to take issue with that back half of the comment there. I'm worried about half of my money getting taken at retirement. I would wonder by whom that money would be taken by. I certainly hope you don't think that advisors just, you know, we just take it. Like, hey, congratulations on your retirement. My fee is now half. I don't know where he's coming up with that. But you're not going to go to a financial advisor to get better interest rates on a bank account because you're right. If they're helping you, they're charging you money for that and that's going to eat into it. You got to be okay with 1%. That's the going rate. Maybe you can find 1.1. Magnify money is where it is at. If it's going to have a good rate and an easy to use operation, that's where I go. That's where we tell clients to go. You know, the thing though, I think that something that Todd is looking at is I'm getting a 1% rate on my money, but there's a different type of risk, right? Like people don't go higher than that because they're afraid of the risk of fluctuation of things going up and down, but there's a risk. If Todd doesn't need the money for 10 years, he can certainly beat that interest rate over time. Yeah. I'm assuming that this is his savings money and he's just trying to get 1.25 and not one. If it's Um, his savings account, he's not going to do better. Yeah. You're not going to do better. I mean, if this is long-term money, then it shouldn't be in the bank at all. It should be invested. Yeah. And that's what I thought when he was talking about advisors, you know, when he's thinking about going to an advisor, but I'm worried about the fee structures that advisors have. I think what he's alluding to, and this is just a thought, he's alluding to other types of investments. And there's an investment pyramid, like a risk reward pyramid that has uh, savings accounts, on the very bottom and then treasuries just above that, just above that are different types of bonds when it comes to risk and reward over longer periods of time. And then we get into stocks like low risk stocks that pay a huge dividend up through tech stocks and international emerging market stocks. Then you go into collectibles, you know, precious metals and precious metals, by the way, are higher on the risk reward scale, not because they actually historically have returned higher, but because they will go in a hurry straight up and then they will go in a hurry straight down. So you can make a ton of money in metals, but you can also lose your butt metals. Eight times more volatile gold is than the stock market. So, and then the top of that pyramid is collectibles. I mean, if you want to make great money, but the chance of you actually making money is slim, just, you know, go do baseball cards. So there's a risk reward pyramid and you've got your savings account at the bottom. So the best thing to do is to start looking at the higher areas of the pyramid and you'll find higher interest rates, but you're also going to find more fluctuation over time. But if Todd's got 10 years till his goal, he shouldn't be anywhere near a savings account, OG. Agreed. Go find an advisor, turn your money over to him, and do your research, and then turn your money over to him and be good. If you have questions, by the way, about the advisor, always check the FINRA broker check site. We have a link in your browser put in stackingbenjamins.com forward slash broker check. That will take you to the FINRA site where you can look up a broker's record and see if what they're telling you that they have a clean record is really the truth because FINRA, the regulatory agency that that link sends you to, that's their job is to monitor that stuff. So thanks to Todd for the note. If you've got a letter for us, send those to Joe at stackingbenjamins.com. Hey, and two quick things here. Normally at this part of the show, we talk about the awesome people leaving awesome reviews of the show. Mom puts those on the fridge. 
But two quick things. We mentioned this on Monday, but this is Plutus nomination season. Last year, we were the Plutus Award winner. And the year before that, we were nominated for awards. Last year was the first year that they had a podcast only award. Year before that, it was audio and visual category, but we were nominated that year. You can help us get nominated. You cannot help us win, but unless you know the judges and you got a bunch of money you can bribe them with, and assuming they take the bribe, that would be great. But let's not go there. Let's instead just head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Plutus, P-L-U-T-U-S, and nominate us for best podcast. And there's some other categories there. If you like us and other categories that you notice, feel free to nominate us elsewhere too. But thank you to everybody who's done that. Nominations close at the end of August. We're only going to mention this a couple times, but please take a second and help us get nominated because that every year we get this nice Plutus bump. Today. You haven't seen any movies. I haven't seen a movie lately, but I have been catching up on some programs and I've got a preview of one that starts in a week. This is going to be fantastic. Listen to this. Deep in the heart of Texas, removed from mainstream America, three lusty and boisterous men carved a fortune out of this harsh and unforgiving land. I'm not sure if I put my bottom line up against Donald Trump. I might be ahead of the son of a bitch. No one gave a damn thing except the moxie to get off their ass and do something. They did. Butch and I have actually done it all. We started from the bottom up. Drilling oil wells. We've got the cattle business. I'm 50-50 partners with the world's largest steel corporation. While the rest of America chases spreadsheets and trends. I was going to invest in Facebook, but the technology part of it is not my forte. These self-made men the developed The technology part was not my forte. Strategy. This is a show that's coming up on CNBC. We talk about CNBC and never to watch it. You should watch the after the market closes, like and after those idiots get done ranting about God knows what. <laughs> they actually have some pretty good reality programming. Like this is the type of reality show that I like. This show that's coming up is called the West Texas Investors Club. And the previews that you see, if you've watched a little CNBC lately. Well, wait a minute. This is actually out now. This show's on now. Uh, yeah, I haven't caught the first one yet. <laughs> we do record these just a smidge early. Nevertheless... I'm looking forward to this. This is a show about three. You know, you've seen Shark Tank. Yeah. This to me looks like Shark Tank, but without the politeness. Because I saw a preview. The guy walks in. He goes, I've got an MBA. And he goes, I don't give a god dang about your MBA. That don't mean nothing here. Because these guys apparently have more money than they know what to do with. And they've started an angel investor club where they're going to fund young entrepreneurs, which is fantastic. So really looking forward to that show. Two other great shows on CNBC, The Prophet. Marcus. Marcus. Marcus Limonis. Limonis, right. He um, goes into businesses and puts in his process, his people and his product, you know, that that's his mantra. Writes big checks. They just did a recap of some of the first two seasons worth. They're on season three now. Just did a recap of the first couple of seasons, some of the big ones and the stuff that is going on in some of those businesses, there's one about a candy store. I remember oh, the, the candy store episode was great. Sweet Pete's. Yes. So now they are in a 11,000 square foot mansion in downtown Jacksonville. When he bought or partnered with them or whatever, they were doing 400,000 in sales with no profit. Because they had to get rid of the loser partner. 
even the loser partner, yeah, they had to get rid of him. That's right. It's 400000 in revenue, no profit, 10000 in profit. So he's owned them for a year, been partners with them for a year. They do $4 million in sales now. They just did a partnership deal with Jacksonville Jaguars. They just bought the building next door to do more catering. It's fun to see those operations just explode. What's great about it is when you see the impact of putting in a process and a system, how much a business can really just take off. And the other show that I really like is called Blue Collar Millionaires. And it's about folks who, you know, kind of like this West Texas Investors Club thing here, just made it. They're unassuming. This kind of like the millionaire next door, like Dr. Thomas Stanley's good work there about how most millionaires live in modest houses. First one that I saw, the guy was on the concrete company, pours concrete every day. And then you talk to him and he goes, oh yeah. And then this is my house here in California. And this is my house in Mount Shasta. I own 75 acres and the house is worth $5 million. Yeah. We custom built. Two guys that started the uh, Got Junk or whatever companies or some type yeah. of company yeah, like those, that. those signs. He said that they both graduated from college and their parents were like, you're going to do what? <laughs> and he said, yeah, I figured I finally made it when American Express sent me an application for their black card. Yeah. So you had to spend quarter million a year on your Amex card to get one of those invites. So uh, a couple of good shows on CNBC, West Texas Investors Club. Got to get caught up on that. And then Profit. I really like the Profit. I like how he doesn't take any crap. I do too. I Just love those the, shows. The show that I'm hooked on, actually, I'm hooked on all the iterations of it, is the Million Dollar Listing shows. That was just up for an Emmy. I like the negotiation process these guys go through. That's my favorite part of the show is when they're negotiating. Is this the, the one with the realtors in New York City? Yeah, there's Million Dollar Listing New York. They all have problems, like all three of them. <laughs> all three of them. Have. Well, I just caught probably about 20 minutes of that show once, and they were selling a building, and they were on the final floor. They had sold all the units, and they were on the final one. It was the penthouse. And so the realtor was negotiating with the owners of the building. And the person who wanted to buy it. And the person who wanted to buy it wanted to put a pool in. Oh, I saw this one. And the guy's like, that's going to cost us like $800,000. We're not doing that. So he comes on the phone. He's like, okay, you know, you split the cost with them. And they're going back and forth. And I'm thinking, I wonder how much this place is going for. It's in Manhattan, right? So it's right. got to be going for $17 million, right? $17 million is how much they're selling this one apartment for. This One, one floor. Apartment. One floor. The guy wants a pool. So finally they go back and forth, right? And they finally say, okay, fine. You know, make it 17.5. We'll split some of the costs. We'll put the pool in. It'll be good. I'm thinking, oh, God, that is so much money. I know these numbers, they talk about the commission on the deal, $65,000 or $120,000 commission on the deal. That on that $17 million deal, it was like 750000 Yeah, the commissions on these things are just awesome. But you know what's funny? It just, it's all zeros. You know this. The first time somebody handed me a check with not just a comma in it, but a comma with two places to the left of it, like a $20,000 check. I was like, oh, that's $20,000 in my hand. And later on, it was always the same process. It was just more zeros, you know? And the zeros just, it still is the same thing. But I love those negotiations. It's like when I buy cars, that's just what I tell my wife. I'm like, hey, you know, 25000 just, $25, just another zero. Big deal. Big deal. Aston Just kidding. I don't have any two hundred fifty thousand. Aston Martin versus a uh, Buick. Well, I don't know if you've seen the Buick commercials lately. They don't look like Buicks anymore. <laughs> I do like that commercial. Go get the Buick and the valets running all over the place trying to find the Buick. And it's like right in front of him. That really tells you all you need to know about it. It's so non-special. The valet doesn't even know about it. No, he's looking just, for a grandpa car. It blends and there's this into hot the car background. right in front of him. He, he can't even tell what car it is. It's just... <laughs> 
It's so blase. <laughs> Go get the Buick. I don't know which one that one is. I better. Oh. Dude, Buick's never going to sponsor the show now. What are you doing? Buick, that's his opinion, not mine. I think Buick's are sexy. Everyone's opinion. You're fantastic, Buick. You, well, you're in the demographic. You're getting there. <laughs> You're about two years away from going, well, honey, I think we ought to go get ourselves another Buick. I'm just thinking the Buick, that one runs pretty Let's well. Let's get the Buick LeSabre in white, the cream interior. You put 4,000 miles a year on it, trade it in every two years. Time to get a new Buick. That one, old changes might be a little tough now. All right. See everybody next time. Stack more Benjamins on Friday. This show is the property of the Free Financial Advisor, LLC, copyright 2015, and is produced by Joe Salcihai and edited by Joe and Isabella Bianca. Mind-bottling, isn't it? Did you just say mind-bottling? Yeah, mind-bottling. You know, when things are so crazy, it gets your thoughts all trapped like in a bottle. Special thanks to Joe's mom for the cupcakes and special brownies she made in Colorado. Whoa, my hand is like right there, dude. Awesome. The people responsible for this show have been sacked. So I played a little bit online here while we were doing our recording. Doing our thing. I got this article here from Wired Magazine. From the department of, I never even considered this, and now I'm freaked out, department. Wired Magazine, Andy Greenberg from July 21st. Hackers remotely kill a Jeep on the highway. Driving down 70 miles an hour on the edge of downtown St. Louis when the exploit began to take hold. Though I hadn't touched the dashboard, the vents in the Jeep started blasting cold air Chilling the sweat on my back through the in-seat climate control system. Next to the radio, switched to the local hip-hop station. On full volume, I spun the control knob left and hit the power button. No avail. Then the windshield wipers turned on. The wiper fluid blurred the glass. And then they cut the transmission. Immediately, my accelerator stopped working. I frantically pressed the pedal and watched the RPMs climb. The Jeep lost half its speed, then slowed to a crawl. This occurred just as I reached a long overpass with no shoulder off to escape. To offer an escape, the experiment had ceased to be fun. So this was an experiment. At that point, the interstate began to slope upwards, so the Jeep lost its momentum and barely crept forward. Cars lined up behind my bumper before passing me, honking. I could see an 18-wheeler approaching. I hoped its driver had seen me too. Holy freak. Have you, you thought about this? No, but did you see the one a couple of weeks ago for the guy that says that he took control of an airplane? Uh, that was a while ago. Was that a while ago? Yeah. And there was a dispute. The airline says, no, you didn't. No, that never happened, but the dude said that he did. But Yeah, he plugged it into the... But then again, if I was the airline, I'd be covering that up too. No, nothing happened. We just yeah. randomly banked. <laughs> well, no, no, he didn't fly the plane, I think. He was like, he tweeted a picture. I remember this. He tweeted a picture of like the fuel control system or something. Like he had access to the fuel control system or something just by plugging it into the seat thing.
I guess that's one of those things you're just going to have to eventually accept, right? The internet of things. Yeah. Freaky. Yeah. Because yeah, you imagine driving down the highway and all of a sudden your car just shuts off. Ooh. I've had that happen before, but that was something else. It was because you ran out of gas. We did have a problem on the way to, it was actually to Cheryl's dad's funeral. We were driving there and we're on the east part of Arkansas and all of a sudden our car, it is slowing down. The lights are dimming and I'm thinking, oh man, if I can just make it to this town, Forest City, I know there's a couple of hotels there and we don't get there. Literally the car shuts off as I pull into the parking lot of this motel that's across the street from a truck stop and it's in the uh, middle. I remember. Was this that uh, you had a bird in the thing or something? Wasn't no, it? no, no, no. That's a whole different, this one though, this one, it was just dying. And luckily we were able to pull in and it's just starting to get dark. And I had pulled into this truck stop before and gotten gas. And I've told Cheryl before, I would never, ever stay at that motel. And, <laughs> and we pull in and I'm like, okay, it's too late at night. I'm sure nothing is open. You know, it was like, I don't remember what time it was, maybe 930, 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, we're just going to have to spend the night here. And I got to tell you, the people at the front desk were super nice the room was like 35 bucks something. It was a clean, comfortable room. I think the TV had kind of, everything was kind of green when you <laughs> looked at it. Yeah. You know, like the color wasn't coming in right. But besides that, it was a fine room. Now, every time I drive by there, I'm like, these people saved our life. But what's funny is, so the next day I turned the car on and luckily it turns on. My family's like standing outside the car as I'm just going to experiment because I'm thinking it's going to be dead. And I turn on, the car turns on. I'm like, everybody in quick. And so we get going down the highway. We get maybe two miles down the highway. Everything starts slowing down. It starts dimming again. I'm like, oh man. Well, it turns out that our alternator was bad and it killed our starter too. But we come off the highway and I put the car in neutral so I can go down the ramp, right? And luckily the light turned green and there was nobody coming. It was early in the morning. So nobody's coming. So I just go out and I park in front of O'Reilly's. And O'Reilly's had just opened. And this woman at O'Reilly's goes, hey, there's a guy just down the street who I would, you know, I don't know you from Adam. I'm just telling you, this is the best guy in town. And you know what? This guy was a Baptist preacher, a fireworks expert who still had all his fingers. He believed in free range chickens. He had <laughs> like nine kids. They had these stray cats running all over his shop. And the guy charged me next to nothing and said, pay it forward. He said, like when I got the bill, I'm like, there's no way. Where's your labor? You know what? He goes, I don't like to take advantage of people who have bad things happen to them. He's like, pay it forward. So it ended up being pretty wild. But as the guy is fixing my car engine and he's telling me he's also a fireworks expert, a Baptist preacher, likes free range chickens. I'm like, I'm not sure how far we're going to make it down this highway <laughs> after this. But yeah, but that wasn't a hacker. A that was uh, spitting elbow grease. We'll get it right started. I got this. Problem is you don't have enough mice in here. Yeah. Where's all your gerbils? When he's telling me, hold my beer, I'll take care of it. If he was uh, a Baptist preacher, he wasn't saying hold Probably wasn't beer. saying hold the beer. <laughs> yeah. No, he was a cool guy. He was a really cool guy. So that was in Forest City, Forest City, Arkansas. Nice time. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military and let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend og who spent time in the military and of course we know what a giver he is even when he pretends like he's being uh, mr surly 
Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.